Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. And uh, my name is Tim. If it's your first time here, we're glad you could be here. If it is your first time here, pick up a free CD of today's lesson, or I would suggest you pick up last week's. That way you get two sermons, one today and listen to the other later. Uh, if you'd like, you can listen to uh, our series and our, a lot of different lessons at our website at greateraltonchurch.com. Uh, there's a few things that's in your bulletin. If you'd like to uh, open them up, you can follow along. There's a set of notes we're going to be looking at. We like to fill in blanks. You take those notes home. Hopefully you'll read and, and do some more study on your own. But it helps us remember some of the things that's going on uh, uh, during the lesson, as well as there's a communication card. And on this communication card, you might have a prayer request or you'd like to make a decision today. We don't have an altar call. We'd let you make that that decision right where you are, right where you're sitting. And so, um, like I say, uh, enjoy today and, and use uh, the notes as well as the card. Uh, inside the bulletin, by the way, uh, there's a couple of things I want to point out to you. One is is that on the back you're going to notice a church banquet. That's going to be coming up. We have a sign-up sheet that's uh, at the Welcome Center. We just want to get a good head count, and uh, you can see the prices there. And also this FYI, we're going to be bringing back our FYI class. It's an introductory class as to what is our church about? What is Greater Alton about? What are our core beliefs? What do we expect from our members? Things like that. And we're right now retooling that class, and we're going to be offering that probably sometime, we're hoping, in March. But if you'd like to get in on the ground floor and like to, you're interested in maybe uh, learning a little bit more about Greater Alton, uh, you can... Make that note here on your notes. We do not have a place yet that says a check mark, but you can. There is a space there under my decision today if you'd like to write, I'm interested in FYI, and um, we'll put you on a list, and we'll let you know through a phone call, a text, or an email of when that class will be offered. Uh, let's see. Gary did a good job last week, I hear. So on Kings, yeah, very good job. I looked at that lesson, and I thought it was very, very good. We're in a series uh, of of lessons right now. We've started our new year uh, with a new theme called Him Here in Me. We're looking at Jesus. You know, how you see Jesus matters. And so we're going to we're spending the first of our year focusing on the different things, the different names of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus was concerned about this when he, when he asked his disciples a couple of questions. Look here up on the screen. This is the passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago. It's found in Matthew 16, 13 through 15. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and this region, this area was built by Agrippa, or not Agrippa, but Herod the Great, and it was named after the, the Roman emperor at the time. Uh, that's the, the word Caesar. He asked his disciples here, who do you say the Son of Man is? Notice this says they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others. Maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says, well, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? There's a lot of names connected with Jesus when you, when you look at um, just the name Jesus and all the different names that, that people have called him and, the, and that the Bible says. In fact, I've noticed that I call them the three S's of where you can find the names of Jesus. You'll find names in Scripture. The Scripture will say something about Jesus. They'll call him, the, the Scriptures call him Emmanuel. The Scriptures call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. 
Then you have society. Society is another S that, that ha- they say Jesus of certain things. For example, society would say at his time, oh, you're just, aren't you a carpenter's son? Uh, uh, wait a minute. Um, you, you're, you're the friend of tax collectors and sinners. You're a drunk. You're a party animal. I mean, that's the kind of things the society would say about Jesus. Uh, some said he was Beelzebub. In other words, they called him the devil. And then you've got the Son Himself, the Son of God, Jesus. There's that third S, where He says, I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm God in the flesh. I mean, He says these things. So, uh, and, and so the Scripture may say who Jesus is, and society may say who Jesus is, and even Jesus will say who He is, but He says it's really important who you say He is. And who do you think He is, guys? Because it, see... It really matters. It will shape everything you say, everything you do, everything you think, all your plans. It will shape your purpose in life. So it matters what you and I think about Jesus. Now today I want to talk about this idea of Redeemer. Now I know it's a you know you think about Redeemer. I'm sure some of you go, yeah, I've, I've, I know all about the Redeemer part. Are you sure? I thought I did too. Then I begin to look closely at Jesus as a redeemer. As a redeemer. In fact, you know, there's songs we sing like, uh, well, I think we even sing here, My Savior, Redeemer, lifted me from the miry clay. You know that song. You probably sing it better than I do. Okay. Then there's, the, then there's maybe a, there's a song I remember singing as a young Christian, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in fact, they're quoting, that song's quoting Job, because Job says those very words. And then, uh, of course, you know, I remember church camp, somebody get baptized and someone say, I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed. You know, then we start singing that one, you know. So we know this, the term idea of redeemed, or maybe we're familiar with it, but out today I want us to look at, it, look at it, because I really hope that you're able to say, Jesus is my redeemer. David would say that. Isaiah would say that. You know, uh, Job would call him my Redeemer. Paul called him my Redeemer. Peter called him my Redeemer. A lot of people would recognize him as their Redeemer. But is he yours? Is he your Redeemer? That's what I want us to see today, and I hope you'll be able to say, he is my Redeemer, and your life reflects that. What's the term redeem mean? Well, probably the most common uh, definition of what it means to be redeemed is to mean to buy back. Let me give you some other ideas too besides to buy back. It means to recover ownership, to pay off, to fulfill, to convert, to set free, to rescue, to renew, to restore. See, the term redeemer refers to an Old Testament term, kinsman redeemer. Uh, the, the Hebrew word, I'm not very good at Hebrew, uh, it's goel. And it means this person who is, and this is what a kinsman redeemer must have. He must, he must have these things in order to do his job. He must be a close relative. He cannot be a stranger. You say, what's, what's a kinsman redeemer do? Well, one of the things he is, is he is able and willing to help someone reclaim and restore their property. You can read about that in Leviticus 25. 
Also, a kinsman redeemer was available to avenge a person's blood. If he was killed, a kinsman redeemer. Anybody ever remember the movie with Patrick Swayze called Next to Kin? Kill my brother Briar. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. Life for a life. That's exactly what kinsman redeemer would do. If somebody was killed, the closest relative would go back and avenge the death of uh, this family member. He was also known as someone who, was, who would help set someone free from slavery. A lot of times a person would get upside down, they'd sell everything they had, and they'd still be upside down financially, so they'd sell themselves as a slave to someone. Well, the kinsman redeemer, he would come and he could purchase that man's freedom again and get him out of slavery. But he had to be a free man himself. He couldn't be another slave. That makes sense, see? And also a kinsman redeemer, according to Proverbs 23, this close relative who had the money and was willing would also defend you in court. He would come and speak on your behalf and defend you in front of a judge. Does this all sound familiar? In fact, he would assume all responsibility if he bought you out of slavery and bought your land and bought your possessions. In fact, he would... Uh, he would also take on all the debt that you have. See, Israel was looking for a redeemer like this. They were trying to find a redeemer like this. And, and, and let me show you some scriptures that are not on your notes, but up here on the screen. Look at what Isaiah says. This is in Isaiah 59. He says, The redeemer will come to Jerusalem and buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. He says, Oh, there's going to be a day. This is during the captivity of Israel. Israel has been taken over by another nation. And they're in captivity. And they're miserable. Another nation has them in their grip. And and Isaiah prophesies, listen, there's going to be a day when a Redeemer is coming to Jerusalem and He's going to buy you back. What's He saying? He says, I'm going to set you free. That, That Redeemer is going to do that. So in Luke 2, when Jesus is born and He's a child... He's coming to Jerusalem with his mother and father. And as soon as this woman, Anna, sees Jesus, she gets excited. Why? Well, look what the Bible says here in verse 38. Coming up to them that very moment, she, in other words, Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She knew that this guy, this Jesus, was the kinsman redeemer. Peter would later say these words in 1 Peter. For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. So we see here, Jesus is your, is my kinsman redeemer. He's our redeemer. How do you know that, Tim? Well, he fits all of the criteria of a, of a redeemer. First, Jesus is a close relative. How is he a close relative? Well, the Bible says this in Hebrews 2. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. I think one translation says have the same father. See, he became flesh and blood like you and I so he could relate to us. And notice it says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, we're the same family. And I'm I'm your closest relative. I'm a kinsman redeemer. Number two, Jesus is debt-free. 
If he's going to set anybody free, and that's what redemption can do, you have to be free yourself. And Jesus was debt free. He owed nobody. He had no sin. The Bible says Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could be right with God. And that's what a kinsman redeemer did. He made things right again. He restored things. Things that we've lost. So Jesus is debt free so he can do that. And not only that, he is able. That's the third thing I want you to see. He is capable and able of redeeming you and I. Look what it says here in Hebrews 9. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. In other words, not Old Testament sacrifice. It says, he entered the most holy place once for all time. And look what it says. And secured our redemption forever. See, Jesus, like the kinsman redeemer, he redeemed, it wasn't land that he's getting back for you, but life. And it wasn't earth, not life on earth, although he can't, he does give us a full life on earth. It's life eternal. Eternal redemption. And nobody could pay that but the Son of God. No human being could get it done. Praise God. He's able. But the greatest thing, the greatest thing about our Redeemer, church, you need to see this morning is Jesus is willing. You see, not all kindred redeemers are willing to pay. Therefore, it says, when Christ came to the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. He's saying, I'm willing. Here I am. You need somebody to take care of this debt? I'll do it. Here I am. Send me. You know, uh, when you read, when you want to know, a, a, see a practical way the kinsman redeemer works, um, all you have to do is read the book of Ruth. Just read, it's only four chapters long. And you read the story about a woman by the name of Naomi, and she is, is, uh, is married to a Jewish man, and he and her have two sons, and for some reason they move away from, this, from, from Bethlehem. They have to be from Bethlehem. It's interesting. They move away and go to Moab. I, don't know, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, a lot of times we think, if I could just relocate, if I move somewhere, it'll get better. Hello. We think that'll work. Well, she goes away. By the way, Naomi's name means my delight. She's a she's just delightful person. She goes and, and she follows her husband. And they get to Moab. The grass seems to be greener on the other side of the fence. I think one farmer told me one time growing up, he said, you know, we always think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but really it's fescue or crabgrass. And that's what, that's what she finds out. They're not there very long. The sons get married. They get married, and I know it isn't very long because they haven't had children yet. And their dad dies. Naomi's husband dies. And then the two boys die. Now, I don't know, I don't know if, they, if it was, you know, over something the same thing. If they died of disease, they died in battle. No, the Bible doesn't really tell us. But they lose three men in that family. Bam, bam, bam. What do they say? It always comes in threes. And so there it is. And oh my, and... What happens? What's Naomi do? 
What, what is Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws now going to do? They have no men to protect them. They have no men to help them. Nobody to work the fields. Moab isn't working out, folks. And so Naomi says, you know what? I think I'm going to go back home. And you girls, you know, you're from here. You need, you know, you're still young. I, I don't have any more sons. I mean, even if I could get married tomorrow and conceive and have a couple of kids, would you wait for them? Why don't you just stay here, serve your gods, I'm going home. And if you remember, Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. What a picture. Guys, I'll tell you what. Here's a picture of in-laws. You follow me? Here's a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. And they're so tight. What a, what a challenge, huh? Some of us here. What a beautiful picture of what in-laws ought to look like. And Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. Oh, you need to go. Nope. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you stay, I'll stay. I will die wherever you die, and your God will be my God. That's the impression, the kind of impression Ruth made, or Naomi made on Ruth. And so Naomi can't talk her out of it, so they go back home. And they get back home, and the whole place is in a... They're all excited. Naomi, you're back. Delight. Delight. It's good to see you. She goes, don't call me Naomi. I'm no longer delightful. Call me Mora. What's that mean? Bitter. I've grown bitter. I'm hurt. I've lost everything. Lost my husband. Lost my sons. Don't have anything. I'm penniless. Homeless. I don't know what... You know, you, look, you read, you read uh, the book of Ruth and they're scrambling trying to figure out how to feed, how to get food. Naomi says, Ruth, I'll tell you what, go in the field and see if you can find some, glean some grain or something and see if you can find something to eat because I don't know what we're going to do. Well, she goes out in the field and what's, who's Ruth find? Boaz. And he happens to be a relative, a close relative. And Naomi goes, Boaz is a close relative. This is good. When you see him, you know, get to know him. Lay at his feet. If he's sleeping, pull his blanket. This is a, this is a custom. Pull the blanket out from his feet. You know, his feet will get cold and he'll wake up. And what in the world? And There's a woman at my feet. And you tell him who you are and he'll know what to do. Well, that's exactly what Ruth does. Nothing shady about it. He says, listen, I know I'm, your, I know I'm a close relative, but there's one closer. And he goes and talks to this fella, and he has ten witnesses around him to make sure that this is documented really well. And he says, listen, you're the kinsman redeemer of Naomi. Yeah, yeah, well, listen, the husband died, and the land has to be bought, and we've got to find a way to continue the lineage of this family and keep that name attached to the land. And you're the kinsman redeemer, so... Uh, you have the first time you're gonna, you, you know. And, and by the way, he's felt he's already fell in love with Ruth by this time. So uh, you want to buy buy her back? And he's thinking he's gonna say no. He goes, sure, I'll, I'll I'll buy it all, huh? Yeah. Well, that threw a wrench in his plans. And he then he thinks, oh, well, by the way, the land comes with a couple of women. What? 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 Yeah, it comes with mom and daughter. I don't want it. Forget it. Takes his shoe off, which is a th- you know, takes his sandal off, and says, "Here, you can have it." You know, I don't want it. And he's like, 
I mean, they're exchanging footwear. I don't know what that's all about, okay? But it's a custom, you know. And, they, and, and, and here comes, you know, Boaz goes, okay. And he says to everybody, I want everybody to stand here as witnesses. I want you to know I have decided I am going to be the kinsman redeemer. I'm buying the land. I'm buying, I'm taking care of all the debt. And I'm going to marry Ruth. And the Bible says that he marries Ruth, and then Ruth becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to a, to a little boy, and they call him Obed. And he happens to be the grandfather of David. The lineage of Jesus comes through this. And, and Naomi, who used to be delightful, who's become bitter, now is delightful again. Oh, she praises God. And how is she able to do that, church? Because of a redeemer, of a kinsman redeemer. And I don't know what you're going through this morning. If you're going through some tough stuff, life's been hard. Maybe you've tried maneuvering and moving around and got your own idea of how to be happy and life has not been good to you. And you're wondering, I, you know, I need to change my name because I just, I'm, I'm just so bitter and hurt and bothered and crushed and broken and bruised. Your God says, listen, I want to get your joy back. I want to get your purpose back. I'm, and how am, I, how am I going to do that, Tim? I don't know, Lord. How do you do that? You can't get it back, can you? No, I can't. Let me buy it all for you. Let me, let me give it to you. And let me restore. Let me be your Redeemer. So when you say, you're my Redeemer, it means something other than a song. Praise God, huh? I look at that and I ask myself, why did Jesus redeem me? That's what I want us to look at. Because when I started thinking about, okay, He's my Redeemer, He's my kinsman Redeemer, I had a guy say this one time to me, what's the big deal about the cross? I didn't ask Him to die for me. That's the point. You didn't have to ask. He was willing. He saw he saw where you were and he wanted to do something with it. He wanted to do something wonderful. So I've asked myself this, and I explored this question, why did Jesus redeem me? And I, had about, I started off with about ten points, and I realized you can't, we'd be into the second quarter of the Packer game, and we can't have that. And so we're going to get killed. You know who we're playing. We're playing... We're playing uh, uh, Terminators is who we're playing today. So, Okay, so, so I, I boiled it down to three points. Here's three points that motivate me, that help me understand when I say He's my Redeemer, that, that it's more than just a song. It's, it, it, it does something to my life. Why did Jesus redeem me? Number one, I am redeemed because God wants to rescue me. That's the first thing I want you to see. He redeems me because He wants to rescue me. Jesus sees, like Boaz saw in Ruth, the problem, and Jesus says, I see a bigger problem than you've lost some things on earth. I see an eternal problem, and you need rescued. You need help from me. It says, God gave His life. Look at it says here in Galatians 1. God, or Jesus gave His life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. In other words, it's what He wanted. In order to what? Rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Another word for redeemer is deliverer. That's another word. 
And see, Ruth, life has been hard on Ruth, or on, on Naomi and Ruth. And the thing I notice is this, is that they needed a Redeemer. And guys, life can be rough on you and I. And don't we need a Redeemer? Absolutely. One of the things I know is this. If I'm left on my own, if I'm left to do what I want, I can get myself in a mess. Let me say it again. Leave me to myself and handle life the way I really want to, and I paint myself in a corner. You ever done that? I've done that. Actually painted yourself in a corner? Like, how do I get out of this? I'm going to step in it wherever I go. And that's what happens. We make these, on our own, we make these choices, these decisions, and what do we get? Slowly but surely, we paint around ourselves into a corner where we have habits and hang-ups and hurts, and we don't know what to do with them. We make the dumbest decisions. I make the dumbest decisions, and I pay for it. And I, and I don't know, guys, we live in a world, why is that? You and I live in a broken, evil world. I think the song is true. This world is not my home. You don't need to get too attached to this earth. This is not where you belong. It's a temporary place. Right now, our Supreme Court is going to be hearing about gay marriage, and you know they're going to rule in favor of gay marriage. You know it's going to happen. We live in a country where everybody has a choice, and so it's going to reflect that. And guys, you say, well, how do you feel about that? I don't like it, but let me tell you, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me because we live in a broken world. So it shouldn't surprise you. And if you live in this cesspool long enough, you begin to smell it on you. You begin to have some of, some of the same values and make some of, the, some of the same decisions. And the Bible says that Jesus came. It was the Father's will to rescue you and I from this. And does He? Absolutely. Absolutely. First Peter 1 says, and let's read this again, For you know that God paid a ransom. Did you hear that? A ransom, he says. Circle that word ransom. What's ransom? What do you mean a ransom? Was I kidnapped? Yes. Of course you were kidnapped. You and I were kidnapped. Our eternity was held in ransom. I was reading, what's the highest amount of money ever paid for somebody's ransom? And right now I think it's at $135 million for a Chinese executive. $135 million. That guy better be important. There was one lady one time, uh, uh, some kidnappers kidnapped her husband. We won $100,000. Really? Have you looked at him? I mean, really? You sure $100,000? I don't know. I mean, he's got a gut. Take a good look at him. He lays around all the time, doesn't do a whole lot. Kind of smells. I think 30,000 is plenty. The kidnappers go, okay. Now, how would you feel if you come home and you find out your wife negotiated it down to 30 grand? <laughs> oh, it's a bargain. Young minds think differently. Oh, gosh. 
I don't know what to say, Pat. I don't even know what to say. Wow, it's a bargain. <laughs> How would you? I would feel awful. Like, honey, I mean, you didn't think I was worth a hundred thousand? I don't even know if you were worth thirty. But in this passage, it says he paid a ransom to save you. It says, from the empty life, circle empty life, you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver. This was not an earthly kidnapping, he's saying. This is something bigger. He paid for you, circle that one. Wow, there's redemption. He paid for you. You see, when Boaz paid as a kinsman redeemer, for Naomi, he paid for the land and everything. He owned Naomi, and it even says that he owned, he purchased Naomi and Ruth. And Jesus, as your kinsman redeemer, paid for you with what? There was an Inca, uh, an Inca chief, uh, Aztec or Inca chief, that rivals this $135 million uh, amount as maybe the most expensive ransom ever paid. Because when the Spanish uh, kidnapped this guy, they asked for a, a shipload of gold. I mean, it was just, they talked about this gold bar would, would be like eight feet tall and so many feet long and so many feet wide. Think about how much money that would be. And then they killed the guy after they got the gold. They didn't even return him. He says, I'll tell you what, he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He wants you to know He was free Himself and willing Himself and offered Himself. It says God chose Him for this purpose. Do you understand how important you are? God chose Jesus Christ. He said, we've got to pay this ransom off. And He didn't try to negotiate it down. He knew it would be the ultimate price. And he does it to rescue and I, and he pays the price. And, you know, Paul in Romans 7, if you ever read Romans 7, it's almost like the Peter Piper picked a peckled peckled peppers kind of passage. (laughs) I can't even do it. I do what I want to do, and I don't what I want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do, but what I don't want to do. And why do I keep doing what I don't want to do when I want to do what I want to do, but I can't carry it out? I mean, you're trying to go, huh? And every translation, it's that way. I wish he'd just say, I'm trying to do what's right, but I can't do it. And every time I try to do what's right, I do what's wrong. That's the easy way to say it. He says sin, he describes to the Romans, sin has deceived me, it has damaged me, it has separated me from God, it's confused me, it's destroyed how I think of myself. And he says, and on top of that, it's like a war and I'm losing because I'm going to prison. And then he says, that's what sin does. Do I have to tell you that? You all know that, don't you? Sin does that to us all the time. And, but look what Paul says as he wraps it up. What a miserable person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is doomed to die? Thank God Jesus Christ will rescue me. Nobody else can. Why does Jesus redeem me? He redeems me because he wants to rescue me. Do you need rescued today? Have you had enough hints that you're in trouble? Have you had enough signs to tell you you're in sin and you're in trouble and you need, you need redemption? What needs rescued today? Is it your marriage? Is it your, your joy? Would you like to have it back? Hope? Purpose? Your kindred redeemer who is like you 
your closest relative is able and willing and wants you to have it. Number two, I'm redeemed because God wants to repurpose me. He wants to repurpose me. What do you mean by repurpose? Everybody's repurposing. If you ever watch American Pickers, they're into repurposing. You know, what's repurposing, Tim? Well, here's the definition I found. Repurposing means to change something so that it can be used for a different purpose. You see, Isaiah talks about the Redeemer in the book of Isaiah. Thirteen times he mentions this Redeemer that's coming. And what's interesting is there's a theme as he mentions this Redeemer coming to Israel. He's saying, this Redeemer will come and get you out of captivity, get you out of what's holding you down, holding you back, and bring you into something different, something new, something better. It's different than what you come up with on your own, is what he's saying. And that's what the Redeemer does for you and I. See, when the kinsman redeemer steps in, he pays for everything. He pays for your your land, your possessions, like I told you before, your debt, the debt that you have, and he pays for you. So you belong to whoever redeems you. You could say, Jesus purchased all my life. That's all that I have and all that I am. And you, th- and you thought we were, get- we, were- we were going to get away from last year's theme. Everything. I- everything I have, everything I am, belongs to God now. Belongs to Jesus Christ. And what's He want to do with it all? He wants to repurpose it. He wants to use it for something else. Something that you... May have never planned. Second Corinthians 5 in the message, I love this message. It says, our firm decision is to work from this focus center. He goes, this is our motivation, Tim, of why we do what we do. What is it? One man died for, for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. He says, listen, he died for everybody. But he wants everybody to have this different life. That's why. Repurpose. It's a resurrection life. It's bringing, it's bringing stuff back from the dead. Things that, that I never thought would ever be a part of me. It says, a far, listen to this, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. See, guys, when you say Jesus is my Redeemer... What you're saying is, I'm living a different life than the one I could live on my own. Totally different life. When I say He's my Redeemer, I'm saying, Lord, it's Your purpose now I live for, not mine. It's Your will I live for, not my own. It's no longer about what I want. It's now about what You want. Look what Hebrews 9 says here. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once and for all by His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Talk about a Jewish thing you do to make a person clean. He says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Guys, you were saved. You and I were saved to serve. When you say, Jesus, you're my Redeemer, you're saying, you, you saved me. You rescued me to serve. What that means is that you're going to repurpose me. What do you mean, Tim? That means that I no longer live to please myself. That means that God is going to use my hurts. You know, some of you here have been hurt, have been abused. Guess what? He's going to use that to help others that have been abused. Some of you here, you know, have, have an addiction, have had addictions, and God has helped you. Praise God He's helped you. But He isn't just wanting to clean you up and set you on the shelf. He wants to use you to help others with addictions. And he, he even is going to use your weaknesses to help those that are weak. He wants to repurpose you. So I'm redeemed because He wants to rescue me. I'm redeemed because God wants to repurpose me. And thirdly, I'm redeemed because God wants me back. I didn't know how to say it any other way. I thought about saying, reclaim me. He wants to reclaim me, if you want to say that. But God wants me back. You ever thought about that? Oh, no, God don't want me back, Tim. I'm so messed up, so screwed up. You don't want me back. You kidding? You kidding? You used to be His. And you got taken from Him. Sin took you from Him. And all He thinks about is wanting you back. Look at, look at this passage I find very powerful here. Remember in the past you were without Christ. He's telling the Ephesus church at Ephesus here, there was a time you were without Christ. You had no hope and you did not know God. Yes, at one time you were far away from God, but now in Christ Jesus you are brought near to Him. You are brought near to God through the blood sacrifice of Christ, through redemption in other words. One, you, were, you were separate, but now you're brought back. Guys, have you ever... Ever got something back that used to be yours? Somehow you lost it? And then it's back in your hands? How does it feel? You know, I, I, have, a, I have a wooden vice that belonged to my great-grandfather. And when my mother and father divorced, they had a big sale. And there's nothing worse on a kid watching all of your childhood memories being sold to the highest bidder. I'm watching a tractor I used to ride on a Toolbox of my father getting sold. Got sold for about 900 bucks. I think it was 930 bucks. I didn't have 930 dollars. I'd have bought it. I watched. I watched equipment and pictures and furniture, and and I've watched stuff that belonged to my great grandfather being sold. Just a few years ago, my uncle Ben, before he died, said, "I want to give you something, Tim." And I go, "What is it, Uncle Ben?" And he pulls out my great grandfather's wooden vice. I went, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've got that. He goes, yeah, I bought it at the sale. Somebody had to buy it. Couldn't let anybody outside the family have it, Tim. And I want to give it to you. And I just started crying. I used to play with it. I used to do things with, you know, it was just such a cool thing. It's a big honking thing. It's weird looking. But it crushed stuff, you know, and I just loved it as a kid. And, and he goes, I want you to have it. You're going to give it to me? But well, let me pay you for it. No, it's already been paid for. I want you to have it. And he wrote on it in his handwriting, 
This belonged to Harrison St. Ledger on the Golden Gate Farm. And I'm holding it there and just so exciting to get something back that somehow you lost. I want to show you something that's from eBay. And they're trying to advertise, but see if you can see redemption in this short video. I'll just let it run for a minute. What's going on here is this guy, he had a 1958 Harley-Davidson. And he's from Montana, and he's talking about what happened. And 30, over 30 years ago, he had a Harley-Davidson, 1958 Harley-Davidson. But what happened was, is that when his daughter was born, he sold it. And so he realized after he sold it, he goes, I made the biggest mistake. And he goes, I, could, I just want it back. 30 years later, he decides he's just going to go find a 58 Harley because he really missed that bike. So he gets on eBay, and when he gets on eBay, he sees a 1958 Harley-Davidson, and he notices the VIN number is the exact same number of the bike he had. And so he said, so what I did was I decided to bid on what I thought it would be worth. He goes, but I lost the bid. He goes, I can't believe I was that close. And somebody outbid me. He said, so a year went by and it was back on eBay again. Same bike. But this time I paid what it was worth to me. And I got it. And he's talking about how the experience, and he's, and he's talking about how it's silly that he's crying over a bike, but he says, I don't know how to explain it, but it used to be gone, now it's mine again. And I couldn't help but think, there he is right there, he's, he's talking about right there. He goes, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about our God who's let something get away. It, it got away, guys. He gives you and I free choices, and we make these choices, and we get separated from God. And he's trying to figure out, how do I get Tim back? How do I get you know, Danny back, Chris, Lynn? How do I get Melissa back, Jim back? How do I get these people back? Because I just remember I enjoyed them so much. I know what I'll do. I'll not bid based on what it's worth. I'll bid on what it's worth to me. Your Redeemer did not pay what you were worth. We laugh about that woman negotiating that guy down to 30000 huh? <laughs> How much do you think you're really worth? Let me tell you, God disagrees. You're worth much more. Because He paid what you were worth to Him. You see, you went to the highest bidder. The kindred redeemer, there may have been another guy that could have, could have got you, but he says no. But Jesus says yes. Buy it now. Look at the Bible says here. I can't help but think about that here in Isaiah 53, if it doesn't capture the joy of somebody who purchases something and it's worth it. And this is about your Redeemer here in this passage, guys. And, and it says, this is the prophecy about Jesus. It says, after a life of suffering, he will again have joy. 
he will know that he did not suffer in vain. My devoted servant, with whom I am pleased, will bear the punishment of many, and for his sake I'll forgive them. What's that saying to you and I this morning? It's saying that Jesus looks and He's asking, was it worth the purchase? Was it worth giving my blood? And He says, yes. I again have joy. Like something I've lost, I've got it back and it's mine again. I want you to know you bring God such joy when you respond to Him, when you appreciate that your redemption Because you and Him both know something maybe no one else knows. You know God loves you. So I have a couple of questions as we close out today. A couple of questions on your your notes there. Just to ask yourself this question. That is, you know, can I say that He's my Redeemer? Can I say that? Are you able to say He's my Redeemer? In other words, am I a Christian? Have I surrendered my life to Christ? A couple of guys were talking one time. He goes, and this guy was saying something. He noticed the guy was humming a Christian tune. He goes, um, so you're, you're a Christian, huh? Yeah. So how long have you known about your Redeemer? And he goes, well, how long have you known about the Redeemer? And he goes, well, the Redeemer's been around for a couple thousand years, but I just recognized him last week. I just accepted him last week. Let me say, guys, that I want to encourage you. Can you say, He is my Redeemer, Tim? Or maybe you should say to God, God, your Son is my Redeemer. And the second question will be easier to answer if you can answer that first one. Does my life say He's my Redeemer? I've been bought with a price to love and honor God in such a way the rest of my life. I'm rescued, therefore I'm free, so how will I live? Will I live like I'm under bondage all the time? Will I live as a free person? Will I let God repurpose me? Am I just being set free to do what I want? Am I being set free to do what He wants? Am I doing what He wants? You only know the answer to that question. There's a communication card in your bulletin that gives you an opportunity to maybe write out a prayer or a decision you're wanting to make today. I hope you can say He's your Redeemer. When you begin to see the price that's been paid for you and I, and when you begin to see the love and the willingness that God has, I hope you can be like Naomi who holds the future in her hands and says, Oh, I have found delight again. I have found my joy again. May God bless you this morning as we fill out these cards and you make a decision. We're going to sing a song and let you do that. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing that song and let you do, you know, fill out that card. And then we'll sing another song and collect those cards along with our regular contribution. I want to say to you who are guests here, you're under no obligation to give to this church. Nobody's going to think you're weird if you don't put anything in the plate. You're a guest. You're not here. We're not, we didn't bring you here. We don't believe you're here so we can get something from you. We want to give something to you. At the same time, if you're a member, hey, be generous. Okay? Be generous. For God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray. God, thank You for this morning, Lord. Thank You for the idea that You are our Redeemer, Father. And I ask us, Father, I ask, you know, You know who believes this, who's accepted You as their Redeemer, who follows You, who's surrendered to You and who's been baptized, Father, to make that 
make that redemption complete. Lord, I pray that um, this morning we'll see Your Son as our closest, our kinsman redeemer. No one else, Father, could, could pay this debt. And like the song says, He paid a debt. He did not owe and I owed a debt. I could not pay, Father. He paid that debt that we could never pay. Thank You, Father, for that. Thank You, Father, for redeeming us in a way that would rescue us, Lord. Let us see that it's a very dangerous, dangerous world we live in, Father. And I just ask some of us, that for some of us here, Father, that we see that we need rescued. Let us respond to that, Father. Let, let us let You rescue us, Lord. What do You want to use us for, Father? You save us to serve. What is it You want to use us for? Help us discover that and help us do that, Father. Because You've purchased all of our life. Help us use every part of our body to give back glory to You because You own it. Father, um, thank You so much for buying us back. Let that, let that motivate us, Father. Not with just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but with great motivation to live with confidence, and with faith and with determination. Father, we pray our lives will reflect You in such a way that Your Son can look and say, it was worth it. It brings a smile to His face. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.